My name's Becky Cullen. And my name's Jaden Morton. And this is the very first edition of the Knots TV Book Club podcast. <laughs> Jaden's yeah, laughing is. already. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so we're going to start off with um, talking about some of the things that we're currently reading. I've got about 85 million books in front of me, and Jaden's bought one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what have you? What are you, what are you reading then, Jaden? Tell us all about it, or tell me all about it. So um, I'm reading Amy Aker's Mother Song. Are you? Because yeah. snap. We've got the same book. We've on got the, table. the same book on the table. Yeah. Mm. What do you think about it? I think um, it's exciting to see someone from Nottingham or someone that's living in Nottingham have this kind of like release with Bloomsbury. I know Bloomsbury yeah. poetry and a massive author photograph. I know. About it. She looks beautiful. She is beautiful, mm. and also that's serious book love, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a minor picture or a no. little tiny bio it's really serious and yeah. also the cover is really thick paper i know i i did you expect a hardback i think we said we didn't know if we were going to see a hardback or not but... yeah i thought it was a hardback because it looked like a serious book mm. poetry doesn't really get hardbacks though uh no not yeah. since t.s Eliot, maybe no. yeah or anthologies no more fires are hardback isn't it mm. anyway so what do you think about these lovely poems i think they're are they lovely they are they're exceptional and they're they kind of took me off guard i think i would start one and expect it to be sort of quite a straightforward um exploration of motherhood and then mm. they would have these sort of like dark turns that slightly disarmed me or, or I don't think dark is the right word I think they're sort of disarming and I think that's one of the things that makes Amy such a such a good poet but such a successful poet is that she is not afraid of kind of going balls to the walls sometimes mm. but having that really sort of con like creative control over it and mm. she's um she's also sort of known as an editor that's sort of her her thing she edits the Bad Betty collections um and I think that her, yeah, her skill as an editor is, is lies in control mm. um, in a way that still the poems are very free and sometimes they're a bit silly and they're a bit playful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not, it's really seriously poetic. <laughs> <laughs> That's very obvious. But, but it's really poetically serious as well. Mm -hmm. So you're right there's some very terrible poems about loss and fathers mm. in particular and then there are some poems where they're dancing and spinning a child around mm. and it's absolutely joyful yeah and i think it always really amazes me with poetry collections which are so slim and tiny mm. how you go through that range of emotions in so few pages yeah yeah, it's these like tiny worlds that build up in like three lines, mm. and then yeah, which you you don't get in in novels. Novels take a long time to to build, which is like interesting in their own way. But yeah, mm. poetry slaps you around the face. Well, that's really yeah. interesting because have I? I've said this so many times to so many people. So please forgive me if I said <laughs> this to you, especially if I was holding a pint of lager at the time. <laughs> but um. There's a there's a Sylvia Plath essay where she talks about the difference between 
a novel and a poem. Yeah. And the novel, she says, it's like an open palm and the novelist can take time and they can follow whichever lines, you know, yeah. lifelines or whatever they wish. But a poem is like a clenched fist. Mm. And I always think that's really interesting because it is like the idea that the poem is packing a punch. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which did you find any that particularly packed a punch? Yeah. In Amy's collection. Yeah, let's have a look at the contents. We should say said. that it's called Mother Song, mm -hmm. shouldn't we? And that Amy Aker is the founder, one of the founders and editor editors of Bad Betty Press, mm -hmm. who publish some really seriously yeah. talented people. Yes, a couple of their, um, the people that they did pamphlets with have just been, their collections are now on the forward shortlist. Mm. So these guys know what they're doing. I'm going to say cigarettes on page 50 for, right. for the guys at home with their books looking for to star the ones that Jason said. Yeah, good. definitely. <laughs> but you have to read it for yourself and decide what you think is good. Cigarette and... Um, where's that from? Oh, Atheism. Yes. Yeah. She, she read that at her launch that we both went to last week and it was... Yeah. One of those poems that sends a room in a bit of a spin. Everything goes quiet and like yeah. everyone's listening. It was like, um, kind of like, a, you know, when you see, I don't know if you watch Top Gear. Do you watch Top Gear, Jaden? I used to when, uh, when I was younger. Yeah. So. I had to watch Top Gear with my son, who really mm. likes cars. Yeah. And it it's like, these poems are like, when Jeremy Clarkson goes through all the gears and then goes round the corner really, really fast at one of the uh, Grand Prix stadiums. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, they just kind of accelerate. Yeah. But, they're, but on the page, they're what we might call a prose poem. Mm. So they're not, like, laid out like a traditional yeah. poem. They're blocks of text they look like short stories or yeah i love a prose poem always on board yeah what do you like about these two then um have i picked two prose poems yeah you have ah uh, which kind of proves what you just said i think i think i like them because they're so full and what amy does really well is describe things and like and like metaphor and imagery mm. and like sort of slight that slightly disarming imagery is what she does very mm. well um and then she sort of just cuts it with lines like i'm so fucking tired all the time mm -hmm. which is a line from atheism um and i think i just get lost in them and i think because she's because she edits and, and she edits so well her in theory her process should be really refined like You'd almost, in an abstract sense, expect a poet that, like, was a really skillful editor to have quite small poems or quite refined poems. Mm. So when a poem is a big chunk of a poem, what is there is excellent. And there's so much of it. There's so much, um, yeah, there's so much of the journey. Mm. And I think that, yeah, Amy really doesn't shy away from, like, getting you, forcing you to get lost in... Mm. forcing you to get lost in it I think that's what I think lost and lust yeah. in these poems yeah <laughs> so atheism starts starts off so she's 
So she's talking about when she had her had Billy, who gets a mention, and that was a really interesting conversation. So she was asking whether somebody asked her whether uh, she thought Billy was going to be mortified yeah. by being in the poems when they grew up. Yeah. I don't think they'll be mortified at all. I mean, no, I you... think if these poems were written about me, I would be so honoured <laughs> yeah it's so cool yeah, yeah. It, it's not like having your face all over no. facebook is it it's it's not <laughs> i think the question was was also like the question that was asked was also about what we owe well if we are writers and, and what writers owe to the people that they write about because i think fiction and prose and stories like no one's expecting it to be about someone um there are like, like there's creative nonfiction exceptions to that, but yeah. when when a poet reads their work, everyone expects that to be true. Yeah. And it's about um, what that means for the people that it's true about, whether or not it, it is even true. Mm. You know how much of a creative license is a poet taking? Mm. Um, there yeah. are poets who write poems about their dead parents yeah. when their parents aren't dead. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Tony Harrison does that. Yeah. Or did that, and. That's perfectly valid, isn't it? You don't have mm. to have experienced yeah. that, although it does feel really quite like it might bring misery down upon your head yeah. if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're attempting fate there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to yeah. say. I didn't get to the end of the poem, but she like the poem starts off, Dear Lord, fix my broken vagina that I may climb the tree of longing and find myself in its branches, feet tucked under knees, pleated skirt and no pants. Let the freckles of my husband's arm tickle not my heart but lower. I mean, at times she's wanting to creep up on her husband. Other times, uh, let our daughter not wake as I guide his face to my waistband. I mean, it's very, uh, it's just really honest, isn't it? Mm. Very direct. Yeah. That kind of postpartum. Yeah. Will I ever be the same again? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> yeah, w without ever having to say that, which is what's like the show don't tell is like the magic of poetry. Yeah. Where you, whereas like a novel will explore that more literally, like poetry won't. It will just tease you around it and let you come to your own conclusions. Yeah. And increasingly, lots of poets using, like creating narratives using poetry mm. which is really interesting yeah because i think okay you're telling a narrative with a rain a sequence of poems but those poems are doing something really interesting with time or slowing it down mm. or choosing which sections of a narrative you look at so that your reader can then put them together yeah uh that i've got one right in front of me funnily <laughs> enough <laughs> here i have yeah for the price of here we are. Here's a poem mm. with a hardback. Yeah, with a hardback. that's true. The Home Child by Liz Berry. And she was at the... We should explain, because we know where we were on mm. Tuesday. But <laughs> we were we were at the launch of Amy Aker's Mother Song. Yeah. We didn't plan it as a trip. We just turned up at the same place yeah. at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was... So Amy Aker, she... Amy Aker was having a conversation with Liz Berry, who has helped her with the editing, I yeah. think, at different points. So that's really interesting. And Liz Berry 
is a forward prize winning poet in yeah. her own right so lovely to hear her talking and yeah. interviewing another poet she was so good at that she was so like warm and gentle yeah, yeah. i'm just i'm just wondering yeah. amy <laughs> <laughs> with her lovely yeah. black country accent and i'm just wondering <laughs> <laughs> she's so lo- very lovely but this book the home child have you have you read it no oh it's a book Jaden hasn't read yeah <laughs> um so it's a book about her aunt who was one of the children who was sent off to canada from a children's home and and like there were loads of kids who were sent off to australia and canada and different places um without any kind of consent without any way to trace them and it's liz berry putting together her aunt's life yeah and what she knows about it but and it's set out in poetry it's set out in yeah. poetry and like there's things like i'm just showing Jaden a page now which is like a letter to her brother jim and it's all been redacted so it says dear jim blank 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 your sister eliza because all the poems were or the all the letters were amended yeah and what's the word censored it looks great it's gonna get get put on the tbr do you reckon yeah it's got a red front cover front page mm. what do they call this the end pages end pages yeah and small birds on the inside so you know beautiful yeah i've heard lots of good things about it but not and in terms of books about time is there any other book that involves poetry and time that you could possibly think of to talk about <laughs> right now no <laughs> <laughs> Are you referring to Rebecca Cullen, my <laughs> yeah. alter ego, poetry alter ego, Rebecca Cullen? Yeah. Yeah, I ended up yeah. writing about time. You did, but Loads yeah. of people are writing about time at the moment. Gabriel Gospirici? I'm not sure That's who that is. That's a novel. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got time in the mm. title. Yeah. Lots of people are really interested in it, I think because people are trying to work out what kind of time we're living in at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Why were you interested in time? Um, well, I've lived in Nottingham for a long time, not that long, really. Um, and I got to the point where I was having the same experience or no, I've been doing lots of, I've walked everywhere. And if you live somewhere, you see it change over a period of time, you Mm -hmm. see it changing. So I was at the point where I would look at one street corner and I could remember what happened when I was... 14, 27, 31, Mm -hmm. 46, you know, up to the present day. And it was like the place was just layered with different experiences of different periods of time. So it was kind of an attempt to try and work out what the texture of time was really, Mm -hmm. I suppose, linked to place, but also where I sit. They're all versions of my experiences but nothing around them has changed just me yeah does that make any sense it makes so much sense it sounds beautiful um oh, so thank our, you. our listeners can read becky's a reader's guide to time <laughs> um available at all respectful bookshops in this bit of the podcast what we're hoping to do is to pick up some of the things that were talked about in the show because 24 minutes sometimes 
is not very long mm -hmm. to be able to talk about everything you want to talk about in relation to a, a book. So Kai Northcott, who is in the room with us. Hello. Hello. Uh, spoke to the guests after the show and said, is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't have time for? So we thought that would be really useful to start off a bit of a conversation. But first of all, what do, do you like that? What do you think about Beloved? Because I haven't spoken to you about it at all, ever. It, it's one of those books where I hadn't read it before we just, well, you, you guys decided to do it on the show. And I had been told it's a masterpiece. It's one of those things where, like, yeah, it's reputation precedes yeah. it, yeah. Um, and I've had it a few times where I've been like, oh, this book has a huge reputation. Everyone's read it, thought it's great. I'll, I'll put it on my list of books I want to read, but it it didn't spark me as something I like immediately wanted to pick up. Mm. I think when I'm reading, I, I tend to lean towards books that are like fresh off the press, you know, hot off mm, the press. Mm, mm, I um I just like something Because you're so new. fashionable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's because I'm a style icon. Yeah, that's right. Um, I also like, um, you know, when authors are like debuting, I, I think I just find it interesting. It's just kind of what I'm interested in. So like books like Beloved sort of go to the back of the pile. Um, and then every time I pick up a book that I'm told is a masterpiece, I'm sort of somehow surprised that it is yeah, a masterpiece. Yeah, and yeah. I had I had it with Left Hand of Darkness earlier or well, earlier this year. And I've had it again with Toni Morrison. Um, where I'm like, gosh, yeah, no, no one was lying. Not that I yeah. thought they were, but um, yeah, it was, uh, it took me off guard how beautiful it was. I was sort of, so I've read, I had to read The Colour Purple by Alice Walker mm -hmm. for for sixth form and sort of that's sort of what I was expecting mm. I think um Colour Purple is is fantastic yeah but it what didn't really like move me in any way no um so I sort of went into this thing expecting sort of a similar style of prose and it was so outrageously poetic and beautiful yeah. um and the language just kind of I sort of didn't know what she was going to do next with her language mm. um and how she was going to sort of take me on this inc like incredibly mm. horrific journey, but also just consistently be some of the most beautiful writing ever know, that, it, that it possibly is. So, yeah, just gorgeous, a gorgeous book. I completely agree. I mean, that like I got really kind of... Um, there's something really rhythmic about the way that it's written, mm. kind of almost like... Um, you know, when somebody rings a bell and then you hear the echoes of it, mm. you know, it keeps mm. it, it keeps echoing. Yeah. And I felt like that. I felt like I was in some kind of sonic experience, you know, but moving as well, a kind of rocking or I, I don't know. There's something yeah. really peculiar happening when I was reading yeah. it. And then every so often there'd be a sentence which was so perfect. It made me laugh. Mm hmm because I forgot that I was reading, I was involved in the story. And then suddenly you come across a sentence, like so somebody's describing a blank face and they say she had a, she had a face like a dinner plate. Mm. It's like, how brilliant is it's, that? It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I feel like we could literally flick through the pages, pick a random line and it would yeah. be absolutely gorgeous. We could do a whole podcast series on the genius of Tony Morrison, yeah. couldn't we? Yeah. Just this book forever. Honestly, I also I was quite um, busy this week. I was on a lot of coaches, and 
I get really travel sick. So I wanted to get the book read. I get travel sick. Yeah, on, on coaches especially. Awful. Um, Do you so sit on the left or the right? The left. I always have yeah. to sit on the left. Yeah, even on trains I prefer to be yeah, on the left. I do as well, and buses. Yeah, it's nicer. It is It yeah. is nicer. That's because we should always be passengers and driven uh, around. That's it, hmm. yeah. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> did you? <laughs> I have been called a passenger princess. Have you? I can drive, but I refuse to, so that Good might explain nice. it. I don't want to be near the other cars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so, I, yeah, I switched <laughs> to the audio. Yeah. I switched to the audiobook because I was getting too travel sick reading. Um, and I'm not really, like, an audiobook person. I, I've never, like, it's ever occurred to me. But the audiobook is recorded by Toni Morrison herself. And she reads so slowly. And all the, like, lyrical beauty that's in the book just comes out tenfold in the audiobook. Mm. She, and also there's something about hearing exactly how the author intended you to hear mm. it is so special. I think she's kind of magic. Yeah. I think that there's a slight, like, esoteric terrorism to mm. the to the book and to the story with the ghosts and the kind of unexplained phenomena that mm. i think yeah it's probably just that tony morrison is a witch of literature yeah maybe she is but yeah. you know you saying that made me think actually what i was struggling to say earlier what on was it, it was it was like the book had cast a spell on me yeah or I was stuck in the middle of some kind of incantation yes. that I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. So, yeah, I really agree with what you're saying. And the other thing is, I've read it once before. And I read it because I had to teach it. And yeah. we taught it on a module called literature and on a module of a module... Uh, it was on a module called literature and psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. So... That module was that part of the module was talking about trauma being the same word as womb and the idea of wound and yeah. that, that's interesting that I've said that in relation to beloved because yeah. it is a wound and a womb at the same time. Yeah. Um, and the way that you can be there's intergenerational haunting, which yeah. is the same as intergenerational trauma. Yeah. I just. So, so there's that kind of repeating pattern, yeah. which I think comes out in the rhythms of the language mm -hmm. and the way that people talk to each other and yeah. the way that people pick up each other's terminology and mm -hmm. phrases. And oh, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, Kai, beg your pardon. <laughs> Begging your pardon. So we just wanted to pick up on a few, a few things that the destin the guests didn't get to touch on during the show um and i want to start with a passage because cara uh pointed out this passage and, and um it's quite striking um and it kind of contains all the different uh characters and their voices uh so i'll try and do it some justice tell me the truth didn't you come from the other side yes i was on the other side you came back because of me, yes. You remember me, yes, I remember you. You never forgot me, your face is mine. Do you forgive me, will you stay? You safe here now. Where are the men without skin, out there, way off? Can they get in here? No, they tried that once, but I stopped them. They won't ever come back. 
one of them was in the house I was in. He hurt me. They can't hurt us no more. Where are your earrings? They took them from me. The men without skin took them. Yes. I was going to help you, but the clouds got in the way. There are no clouds here. If they put an iron circle around your neck, I will bite it away. Beloved, I will make you a round basket. Your back, your back. Will we smile at me? Can't you see I'm smiling? I love your face. We played by the creek. I was there in the water. In the quiet time we played. The clouds were noisy and in the way. When I needed you, you came to be with me. I needed her face to smile. I could only hear breathing. The breathing is gone. Only the teeth are left. She said you wouldn't hurt me. She hurt me. I will protect you. I want her face. Don't love her too much. I am loving her too much. Watch out for her. She can give you dreams. She chews and swallows. Don't fall asleep when she braids your hair. She is the laugh. I am the laughter. I watched the house. I watched the yard. She left me. Daddy is coming for us. A hot thing. Beloved, you are my sister. You are my daughter. You are my face. You are me. I have found you again. You have come back to me. You are my beloved. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. So that I think I think first of all I'm gonna clap <laughs> for reading. So um I think that's beloved and Setha Setha Sethi Setha Setha and Denver this kind of triad of mm -hmm. female voices at the centre of the book. What I've it's really interesting that they all end up saying, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine. Because mm. there's something about the way that, oh my gosh, this is really spookier than we think we think it is. Because there is something about possession, isn't yeah. there? About possessing other people. Yeah. And summoning them up, almost. Mm. I wonder if that's what, if that's what Beloved is actually if she's summoned out of the water yeah to fulfill that need that setha and denver have yeah i think that tony morrison just keeps us on that edge i like i'm still kind of goosebumpy from the reading um, yeah yeah Clyde, that was a really good reading <laughs> really good reading yeah um the room went really still um yeah i think that not giving us the answers to that is kind of like what is so haunting um, I think there's like there's a couple readings where Beloved gets possessed by the baby like Paul D beats the spirit out of the house and it goes into this girl mm -hmm. that happens to be alone or she is summoned as you know the actual other daughter as well mm -hmm. like without those answers um, or it's like a sort of psychosis that is happening to everyone and, and what you believe is more important than what's true mm -hmm. um, yeah but 
the lack of answers is kind of what is the spookiest part of it. Yeah. There's a bit, isn't there, where Beloved understands things about Sefer that Sefer has never, ever said, mm. like about the earrings, for example, which is like those kind of mind-reading people mm. who you think they're picking information out of thin air but actually the people are carrying it around with them, carrying massive clues around with them yeah, all the time yeah. about what they're lacking or missing or... Because she would have had holes in her ears. Yeah, she would have had holes in her ears. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, I thought that, that's a brilliant passage, isn't mm. it? What did Cara want to know about it? She She was interested in how the voices all blend and culminate there and speak on sort of the same things but also from conflicted i think contrasted i i don't know what cara got from it yeah. i wasn't able to but i would I love think to know i'd love to hear cara's yeah cara's mm. well, i think just to go back to the time thing again you can almost see it as you know, this idea of the past and the present and the future and how these women's experiences resonate through different generations. Yeah. Um, and that even fictionally, you're still going to be, it's still going to exist mm. because it could be the truth of the reality yeah. of what people are ex were experiencing. Yeah. It's, some of the details are absolutely brutal, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lashings and people yeah. being buried in cells underground and then the cells flood and they've yeah. got chains, they're linked to each other. It's absolutely awful. And one of the one of the things that, I mean, I mean, easy words, absolutely awful. But um, I thought it was really interesting that the men in the book had sold themselves to both sides in the American Civil War to be able to survive. Mm. So I was thinking about the idea of morals being a real luxury. Yeah. And then also that once the war had ended and they were moving up north, there were still people being lynched. Mm -hmm. They were just following a trail of people who didn't, yeah. who still hadn't admitted yeah. that they'd lost yeah i mean and that that level of violence like still exists today i'm sure we could find something in the news this week and, yeah. and when this book was written as well i can't is it when was this I think it's 87 late yeah. late 80s we're looking now can you hear the pages it's 87 bang on yeah. yeah um and i think that quite disorienting um excerpt that we just had is there's like a lot of anger behind it like as a writer i think that's maybe tony morrison's um version of sort of like purposely and quite aggressively disorientating the reader um yeah and kind of getting that anger across that mm. um yeah it's quite it's quite a frightening um except towards the end because the characters that you've kind of been following sort of deconstruct in front of you and i think mm. that's her like sort of tearing there's like an anger behind it, mm. but from the writer more from the characters that I quite mm. enjoy. Well, not enjoy, yeah, I enjoy it. I think she's yeah, yeah. brilliant. Cara said something really interesting this morning was that even though it was repeated trauma and that the generations, experiences in some way repeated themselves, there was a way that their experiences were also 
very different. So you've got the idea that this is a book about racism, but each individual who's mm. involved experiences it in a different way. Yeah. So then there are lots of incarnations of racism. You can't just yeah. lump it under one umbrella, if you like, or in one neat package. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to the car and, and the clerks this morning. Car and the clerks. <laughs> yeah. It's a new girl band. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, speaking of the Claire's, uh, one of them, uh, Claire Bale, I think she wanted to bring up this point of the inescapable nature of trauma and harken it back to, I think at the root of this book is, uh, Sefer's need to protect beloved from it. Um, and her own the only way she knows how to and she also claire mentioned uh an interview with tony morrison where uh tony morrison says about this act she had no right to do it but she did the right thing um and uh, it's interesting to think about how that act in some ways tells you everything you need to know about how just horrific the events um, they have to uh, that they go through are, and the almost the rest and the the, the imagery, the prose surrounding that, trying to express that, can't tell you as much as just that simple fact can in mm -hmm. some ways. Yeah, yeah, I think. It's. I mean, we're to, I, with, I don't know how many spoiler alerts we can do on this podcast. Can we do a spoiler alert? Yeah, you have to be quite keen, don't you, to have to be listening to a podcast yeah, as yeah. well, or keen on yeah. Jaden, which is we can enough. Have a <laughs> we can, we'll, we'll edit a spoiler warning. Yeah. All right. So, so what she so she kills her own child. So she's an escape slave, and she and she. Uh, goes to join her mother-in-law and her son her husband's meant to be following after and doesn't and she sent three children up ahead um, and one of the children and so and then the farm that they come from which is called Sweet Home which is very ironic uh, is taken over by somebody who's very brutal uh, called school teacher and he comes to find Sefer and the children again and take them back and rather than letting her children enter into slavery she kills she goes to kill the children and she only managed she managed only managed <laughs> she kills her she kills the daughter yeah the just crawling girl yeah or no or crawling already the crawling yeah. already baby um she doesn't yeah. manage to kill the boys but so, so what Claire's asking about is that moment where, you know, she's so petrified or or determined or whatever it is that she actually kills, you know, it goes to the extent of killing her own child rather than letting them be returned into mm. slavery. I mean, it's hideous. Mm. It's, yeah, it's it's blood-curdling. The, the worst part about this is that this 
novel is based on a true story. Yeah. This isn't some sort of like dark part of Toni Morrison's imagination. She found all this information, um, you know, in, in archives and in a newspaper. It's quite a famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it we, like weirdly, when you talk about like an act like this, it you start talking about it in in a book, in a fiction book, you kind of think like how would an author like create this plot but actually this book is the mm. plot is just the real world mm. um and it's un- it's uncomfortable it's it's horrible to to imagine mm. but um all the more powerful i think that's probably where some of the punch in the book comes from is that the plot the plot is organic as much as we'd love to think that it mm. it was sort of a demonstration of someone's imagination it's mm. you know one of the things, I mean, like, it's a really, it's really gruesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I found quite affirming about it, if you like, was the way that um, the people in the book really nurture or care about each other. Mm-hmm. And Kai pointed out, um, in the there's an interview on YouTube where Toni Morrison's talking about the book being about the compulsion to nurture. Mm-hmm. So these women are not allowed to be mothers um but there's a whole network of people one of my favorite characters in the book is stamp duty <laughs> who is involved in bringing people over the river yeah uh and res- you know rescuing people um who are escaping from slavery and there are lots of examples of people cooking things looking out for people finding clothes leaving stuff at the door you know there's a there's a whole it's not it's even sadder it makes the book even more desperately sad i think because it's kind of an insight into the kind of lives people could just be getting on with yeah if they hadn't encountered this terrible system that they've been born into yeah it's yeah and it's like Kara said the the people feel so real because of the detail in their characters mm. um yeah like with amy's character as well yeah amy yeah, yeah. Amy, yeah. um her character as well is, is kind of like nurturing in its own way so Amy is the white girl yeah. who is in the boat while Seth is, mm-hmm. Seth is giving birth yeah. to Denver. Mm-hmm. So without her, there's no Denver, I don't think. Yeah. Or Seth, to be honest. I think she saves her life. She does, yeah. That that touches on um, something Claire Brown wanted to talk about, which is oh. the representation of the white characters in, in Beloved. Um, and that kind of tension between uh like baby Suggs's perspective of you know white people uh bring no good or I can't remember exactly the yeah. there's no bad luck just yeah white people yeah. yeah something like that yeah um and the contrast that to Amy who seemingly does have kind intentions and um but at the same time perhaps there's still that element under underlying racism and um something 
yeah. burrowed underneath for something insincere. I don't know. Yeah, and I think there's something about the way the white people in the book are portrayed. So it's not so it's, it would be too easy, wouldn't it? I mean, it's very clever actually, because it would be very simple for every single white person in the book to be a down and out brutal racist yeah but it's much more nuanced yeah. than that so amy is genuinely kind i think and she's neutral yeah she f she finds a ribbon yeah. doesn't she does she give her a ribbon to tie the baby up or i can't, I can't. she does give her her clothes um yes i think yeah my feeling on amy's character is that she's neutral i think that she there is a point in the story where she's sort of like I'm gonna leave you in this barn and if you're alive in the morning I will help you um I think it's a it's a good example that like not leaving someone and their unborn baby to die is like the only good like the only good white character yeah. will not leave her for dead I think that I do feel like reading the character that if if Amy had come in in that morning and and Setha was dead just she would have gone on with her day she would have gone to mm. find the velvet mm. and moved would never have thought of it again. Mm. But she's never going to find the velvet, is she? Oh, I back, I back her. You back her to find the <laughs> yeah. velvet. Yeah, I really. Well, also because she's white. I think she's white, so she's going to probably get to Boston and and be given opportunities. And I think that's her her ambition for velvet is that her her privilege, her white privilege, is that she can aspire to to velvet in a way that Setha needs to get to the next place and, and hope that you know no one tries to murder her in the next yeah, maybe. 24 hours yeah no 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 not that bit but yeah. like i don't know if she's i don't think she's ever gonna get there yeah she's got no underwear on yeah she's not eaten yeah she's been yeah i don't know i, I don't back her i don't back her my geography is not good enough to know how far she has to travel it's a bloody long way yeah <laughs> yeah in the cold but anyway, anyway, who cares about Amy? <laughs> because we want to talk now about Mr. and Mrs. Garner at the farm, mm -hmm. sweet home. So they make a point of allowing their slaves to be what's described as men. Mm -hmm. In other words, they're allowed to carry guns. Yeah. Uh, they still have to work six days a week, but they they see themselves as very liberal because they are giving the slaves mm. what they see as freedom. Yeah. What did I think that's what Claire was getting at as well, that like, these are the white people, what do we think of the white people? I think there is no bad luck but white people, and that stands. Um, a, slave, a slave owner that gives you earrings is still a slave owner. Is, is that is how I feel. Um, I also think, yeah, that's how I feel. I think that's um, probably how Toni Morrison feels as well. Um, and I think that quote stands. Mm. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I thought the way they were written, they sort of say the kinds of things that um, the, some of my best friends are black would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I like that music, or I, I don't know. Um, but it just is still the same shitty system mm -hmm. or the same belief system which makes you think that you're entitled to this and other people aren't. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was like, <laughs> We're shocked into yeah. silence. It, I mean, I mean, like my my knowledge of this time and this history isn't isn't super strong, but I do, like, and I don't think the book really explores this hugely. But it's there are questions like, if the Garners did completely set them free, what would that mean? Where would they go? Would they be just encaptured in, in again? Mm. Um, it's hard to say. It's just a lie, isn't it? Because yeah. you know that they say that people have got freedom, but three yeah. of the men have got the same name, just the yeah. same. You know, there's Paul D, Paul A, and yeah. I can't remember the other one, but Paul Initial. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. And I think she just lays it out, doesn't she? She just. I think the book just lets people speak for themselves. Yeah. And they. Uh, and we can judge them on their own, what they say and what they do. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Don't choke on the orange juice, JJ. <laughs> but I, what I was going to say before was, this is the second time I've read this. I did say that mm. before. But um, this time I knew sort of what was, I could sort of remember what was mm. going to happen. And it made it an even more harrowing experience because yeah. there's just that sense of dread of you knew what was yeah. what was coming up in the pit of your stomach as you carried on mm. reading. Yeah, I also went into this knowing what was going to happen just because it's it's quite a big book and it's been around for a while, so I, I just sort of heard the plot as well. Mm. Um, but still surprising. Still surprising. I think, but though, I because I knew the ending included like infanticide mm. i i could pick up on the themes of of like motherhood and generational mm. trauma mm. especially in, in the ghost quicker so mm. um yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if like the book is so powerful that knowing the end doesn't really take much from it really no um flannery o'connor says mm. that when she writes a story i mean she doesn't say it anymore because she's dead mm -hmm. <laughs> but when she writes a story she tells people what the ending is going to be yeah and that doesn't take away the suspense mm. it just builds the suspense because you you work out how that yeah. situation comes about and that's a bit how i feel about yeah. this this book um there's no book like it but i was thinking that if people wanted to read something else that was set in the civil war there's Days Without End by Sebastian Fawkes, which is mm -hmm. incredible. Really? Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's two, it's soldiers, it's relationships between soldiers in the American Civil War. And there's a break, and it's told in, like it's got a dialect voice in yeah. it. So it's really interesting. And I love books which are written in dialect because you can kind of hear the people talking in your head in a new yeah. way what's, to what's you. What's a dialect voice? Well, like it's written in in their speech rhythms uh, and like with, in an accent or a, yeah, like, yeah you know like um what's that douglas stewart book uh, uh shuggy, shuggy bane, bane yeah, yeah like that yeah or like irving welsh when it's written in scottish yeah which i despise train spotting yeah i don't hate scottish the scottish in yeah anyway. that's a big Just thing to say that partic <laughs> that particular like reading with an intense dialect it, it's so stressful to me 
Okay, well, maybe yeah. Sebastian Forks isn't for you then. No. But it is a fantastic book, yeah. and the relationship between the characters is so yeah. beautiful. But it just shows you the absolute shit show and turmoil that, that, that there was in the country yeah. during the Civil War. Yeah. Have you got another one you want to say? If people like this, they will also like. You talked about a couple this morning, didn't you? Yeah. It's a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking today of we've done a book club on it, Teacher Jin's Keeping the House. It's not yeah. set in it's set in modern day, but I think the like lyricism and poetry of um, Beloved is sort of, you know, yeah. it, it had a similar like poetry to it that I really adored and, and the family dynamics. Yeah. And the the way it handles yeah, intergenerational trauma and the way women are treated um is is similar and I I really, really like Tijin's Tijia book. Mm. Like I really like it. I could talk about it forever. So And she's got great hair. Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't say things like <laughs> objectified well, Tijia's yeah. hair. But yeah. it is an incredible book. Yeah, well like I was saying earlier, like I like reading debut authors and I, I think people that are like um uh, like alive <laughs> like yeah is Tony Morrison alive yeah no no um so yeah people it's you know nothing wrong with being dead no uh, there's nothing wrong with being yeah. dead or being alive yeah I really that made me think of Avni Doshi's Burnt Sugar yeah. as well which is another a, a kind of dysfunctional yeah obsessive relationship between yeah. a mother and a daughter it's just amazing. It is. I haven't read it in a long time. Yeah, that's another yeah. book club ex, ex mm. episode. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. Sorry. So, I think we're about there. Nice. Yeah, I've had a lovely chat. Thanks very much. We've finished the orange juice. We've had some love hearts. Mm-hmm. So, I think we our work here is done. Yeah. Uh, do you want to introduce Cara Thompson's poem? Yeah, I would. Perhaps you'd like to introduce Clara Thompson's poem. Okay, so we'll leave everyone with the absolute pleasure of listening to Rapunzel by Clara Thompson. My name's Clara Thompson. I'm a writer, performer and poet uh, based here in Nottingham. And this poem is called Rapunzel. This head of mine is a hot topic. Like a matchstick you strike the wick of my scalp and flinch as I am engulfed in flames. Unashamed, you rinse the soot off your fingers while I stand here and burn. I used to think that I could dress this pain in prettiness. That if I laced these wounds in limericks, you'd look past the length of your outstretched fingers and lock eyes with my wilting soul. I know better now. Know that this is not ignorance nor flattery. I call your curiosity and raise you battery, an assault on my buttercup being. I, the flowerpot girl twirling my two-strand twists, am unravelled and unearthed by the flick of your wrist, the width of your wide open mouth poised to devour my pride, Venus flytrap. When will you? Unhand me. I know Rapunzel had hair just like mine. The sheer audacity required to climb a woman's curls 
and call it a compliment is far too close to home.